Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Gridiron Blitz right here on Apple Podcasts and Block Talk Radio. It's our year-end edition of the Blitz. Twelve months have gone by, and we are totally excited for 2018. Uh, alongside the always informative Troy Wilson and Holly Custis. Today uh, we're going to be having discussions on the NFL playoffs, college bowls, games, do the recaps there, talk about women's uh, Gridiron news out of Mexico and Australia. Uh, but the NFL is heating up, playoffs in action, and there's a lot of things to talk about. Um, Aaron Rodgers was supposed to come back. Now he's back on the shelf. Um, Pro Bowl selections as well. Um, Going to talk about power rankings. you got a couple teams in the mix, some of the wild card teams that are coming into the mix. you got the Panthers revitalizing themselves. Um, so there's a lot of stuff to, going on here. And just to top it off, uh, Alex Smith and Case Keenum not among uh, the Pro Bowl, uh, you know, favorites. So uh, let's bring in our uh, panel here, uh, Holly and Troy. Uh, Merry Christmas. It's going to be our last show here before the uh, Christmas holiday here. And then before the new year, we'll be back on the first week of January. So uh, Merry Christmas to you and your family. Yeah, Merry Christmas. Hey, hey Merry Christmas, man. So uh, Troy and Holly, um Last last show of the year, so uh, I want to just touch base on stuff that we thought was important. I a couple of things that I come up with with the women's game was obviously we had the IFAB World Championships, kind of very impactful uh, in terms of the sport globally, uh, and we had you know Mexico bus you know come out and surprise everybody, Great Britain. Um, we had the WFA up to sixty five teams this past year, very strong. Uh, the IWFL shifting towards next year, but big news in the IWFL as well. Internationally, uh, big wins out in Australia, uh, more growth there in terms of the international growth there. Uh, Mexico coming into its own as well in terms of FX Mexico, uh, Lexfa in general in terms of the women's game. Um, but in the NFL, uh, you know, a lot of storylines off the field, Ezekiel Elliott. So, um, you know, Troy, let's start with you. What was something in the last 12 months that just kind of stood out for you as we review the year? Huh. Um, you know, for me, it was, I would say the story had to be the, the, the protests, um, you know, the anthem protests. I mean, it was, um, you know, it's really, it, it got off, you know, the, I guess it was going in one direction, and, and, and it took a whole different, you know, angle to it. Um, and you know, I'm glad that I'm glad that it died down at this point. Uh, so we've gotten more to a phase of just, uh, uh, talking, and it's more behind the scenes, and it's less of a, um, um, you know, point of contention. I think most people have kind of gotten back to just watching football. Um, for those who decided to watch, but I, I think the story for me this year was definitely the, the protest because it was it was just so divided. Um, you know, uh, it, it was such a division amongst 
you know, the reason why and whether or not you agreed with it. And then you had people who decided that they weren't going to watch football, people who were fans for, for years, ever since they can remember. And, they, you know, some people decided not to watch the, the NFL. And then you got others that were protesting because, you know, they weren't going to watch the NFL because others were protesting. So I just think it was just, uh, you know, just an odd year. But I think to me that's the story of the year, in my opinion. Holly, what's your big um, uh, year end? <laughs> well, um, I definitely agree with Troy that uh, the protests were a big factor. And I think uh, on a bigger scale, it's more about uh, the role that <clears throat> sports and namely football play in society. Um, you know, you have a lot of people that will say, well, you have to keep sports in, in life separate because they think that sports are an outlet for people to, um, you know, get away from real life. And I think what we've learned, uh, especially over the past year, is that sports are a uh, microcosm of life. And just because uh, there are people that try to escape life by, by watching sports does not mean that, the, that life does not touch sports or that sports don't interact with what happens on the uh, political stage or a social stage. And I think we're, um, through the season, we've we've been able to have a, a great example of how intertwined uh, sports is with uh, daily life. So that's definitely a, a big one. I would also say, <clears throat> from a women's sports perspective, uh, Mississippi State ending UConn's streak of 111 straight uh, basketball games, that was pretty major um, because it puts women's basketball at the forefront of everybody's uh, conversation. Um, and then I would also say uh, Clemson beating uh, Alabama in the rematch uh, in last year's championship game. I think that was a really great game to watch for a championship game. And then you have to also say the Super Bowl comeback for the Patriots, of course, because that's one of the greatest comebacks you know that I've ever seen, let alone uh, in, in history. So those are my top stories. So a lot of stuff that happened, you know, in the, in the sports realm. So in 12 months, you if as we recall back, you kind of like uh, Tori was saying, you recall back. There's a bunch of stories, as you're uh, alluding here, Holly. Uh, a lot of stuff even outside of football that happened. So um, when we think of it in terms of sports, uh, a lot of stuff happens throughout the year in 12 months in sports. Um, so it's just it's and then you know, on the women's game, like I said, pretty big news as well because the growth is there. Expansion is there. There's uh, overseas massive growth overseas at this point, even more than in the WFA or the IWFL. Uh, but in overseas states, you know, in the various countries, uh, and then even Guam. Who would have thought a little small island of Guam would have an impactful growth in terms of America, uh, women's American football? But uh, that's happening and kind of exciting. Um, we broke through 6,000 on Twitter. Um, I think uh, I got a storyline for myself would be like over 17,000 on our social platforms for the year. Um, then we got onto uh, Apple podcasts as we are now. So that's huge. And, um, you know, I can't thank, uh, you know, enough everybody that's made that happen. You, you guys here today, Erica Lynn Anderson, Eric Brown, uh, Kishi Free. Everybody's been a part of it in terms of the growth, getting the word out and making people aware that Women's American football does exist, and obviously it's, uh, it's growing, and it's having a, a, a major impact overseas as well in terms of the growth. 
No, definitely. I think it was a huge year for women's football, like you said. I, uh, uh, every single year that I've played, it, it seems to be getting uh, better exponentially. And I'm just excited, you know, everywhere I turn, there's a new league and a new team in some different country and some different city in the U.S. that never had a team really before. And it's growing so fast, it's hard to keep up sometimes. And that's a good problem to have. And so I hope that we can continue to see that in 2018. Yeah, and we also have to mention, uh, you know, Katie Sowers uh, on the uh, 49ers, big story. Uh, Sam Rappaport putting together, you know, the women's games as well as in Orlando and all those places. Um, and then you have Jen Welkoster going strong out there with the clinics and everything else. Um, so there's a lot of, like, things that are happening in terms of on a bigger scale to get the sport out there. So um, big year. In fact, in big year, I mean, that's all you can say right now with, in women's American football, big year in, in terms of in the States and international. So it's it's a positive. Yeah, I think so. I mean, you you can look as far as uh, uh, the championships in Canada this last uh, summer to see the, the growth of the sport. And as you said, we have several pioneers out there that, that are working really hard. Um, you know, we had uh, uh, Jim Welter kind of paved the, the road in the coaching aspect in the NFL and this last season, I think we had a good six, seven um, uh, former players out there coaching on the sidelines for NFL teams. And um, I mean, the more that we can get out there, the better. And I'm just really proud to, to, to know these people and, and to see them doing great things. And, and I think it's going to continue to snowball next year. Troy, what's your, what's your biggest take on the women's side this year? Is it the fact that it's grown so fast? You've been with me for, what, almost uh, two or three years now. So what's the biggest you take that you take away from it in terms of this year? Well, you know, most of the, the thing that kind of comes to my mind is something that's been going on more recently, and that's kind of been, been the takeover of the IWFL. I mean, you have uh, a lot of teams, a lot of strong teams uh, that came from the WFA that are now in the IWFL, and, you know, it's it's really starting to get to a point where, you know, you know, when I first started covering it, my my understanding was that the IWFL was the lesser known league, and I think you know there's starting to be a change of the guard at this point. Um, I don't know if you guys agree with that or not, but I mean, it, it seems to me definitely that the league was moving toward the IWFL. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you had Hiroko, Christina, now uh, Scott McCarron. Uh, you got Odessa Jenkins now on that side of the. You know, it's going to be pretty exciting in this coming year to see how the IWFL with its new uh, shift uh, affects the sport in terms of the states competitive with the WFA and see how that's going to work out. Um, even the WFA has basically added other teams as well in, in various scopes, and they've started to do initiatives as well for certain other things. But um, it's kind of like wait and see, and we're sort of excited to see which – what league on either side is going to kind of progress the sport to benefit the players? Does that make sense, Holly? Yeah. I mean, that's been kind of the, the thing with women's football is, uh, you know, when I first started playing, started playing in, in the IWFL, 
and, you know, they've been around longer, and at that point, the WFA didn't exist, and then the WFA kind of took over the mantle as a stronger league, and then now the IWFL is trying to compete again, um, and I, I think, for me, it looks like it's more, it's turning in more of a regional thing, where the stronger East Coast teams seem to be uh, in the WFA, and the stronger West Coast teams seem to, uh, seem to be in the IWFL, and um, you know, it's kind of at that crossroads again where, you know, which league wants to progress the sport uh, at, a, at a faster rate and which league is going to get more people to buy into their vision of what that's going to look like. And so there's some competition, and it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Troy, um, I had a tweet out there. Uh, do you think Vince McMahon would be interested in maybe elevating the uh... – the WFA and the IWFL into the XFL convert and merge it together? Uh, I think one thing about McMahon is that uh, he is a marketing genius. So if he did do that, oh, my gosh, I mean, what a coup that would be for, you know, for women's football in general. Um, so, that, I mean, that would be a great thing to do. I mean, he's already expressed you know, interest in, you know, there's rumors that he's interested in bringing the XFL back. Uh, there's other rumors saying that he's interested in, in being in the NFL ownership. I think if someone approached Vince McMahon, you know, with the right eye, with, you know, in the, in the right realm, and he is an advocate for women's sports. I mean, you, you also see that, you know, they, just for his own brand, they've gone from uh, the Divas uh, and now they've, you know, changed the name to the Women's Championship. And that itself is a coup. And then now, um, you know, coming up in January, they're going to have the first Women's Royal Rumble, which I'm definitely tuning in to watch that. I can't wait to see that, man. So, I mean, he's already, he's been, you know, an advocate and helping the pioneer the movement for women's sports. So, if he were to get on board with that, I think that would be huge for the sport. Holly, I think we could name it XFL, what? Extreme Football League, if you merged both IWFL and WFA. That, now, that would be like, you know, WDB style, pretty much. Yeah, I mean, I, I could totally see that. I think uh, Trey is right. He's a marketing genius. Um, I think it's more. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I'll be running around with uh, with he hate me on, on the back of my jersey like he yeah, like those people <laughs> in the bell hat. But um, you know, I think if it's done right. I think it could be that could be a nice avenue. Again, really, what we have to do as a sport is we have to work to continue to get the word out at the same time that we're developing the product, so that when the right people at the right time get their eyes on it, the product is worth what you know what we're trying to say it's worth. And so it, it's a uh, it's a thing that we have to work on both ends and. Um, so, so that when we do have those times when somebody like him sees it, you know, we're ready. So, um, but yeah, that's a good idea. All right. I think the biggest storyline in the woman's side of things would be that, right? The IWFL going to a business form format at this point and maybe Odessa jumping ship and creating the Texas elite. Yeah, I, I think so. I, I think, um, you know, uh, the regular season was a strong regular season in, in the WFA, um, but honestly, it was kind of the the, the same teams kind of keeping serve. And by this shakeup in the off season, it's gonna it's gonna really uh, change uh, the landscape of the sport. 
And so I think because of that, um, it is a bigger story. And uh, so I agree with that. Troy, Odessa going to the IWFL, I mean, you cannot say that that's bad. It's like that's huge, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, you, and then you already had a San Diego. Um, they're a strong team. Seattle's a strong team. Um, you know, so, I mean, it just looks just out, out west. And you've already had your uh, your Utah Falcons out there. Dallas being added to that mix, absolutely. I mean, you know, just – and I think the bigger thing is just like you said, from the business aspect of it, look at the strong leadership you have in all of those organizations. Um, just from a business standpoint alone, I mean, those, those, you know, four organizations, uh, well, just just the ones that I mentioned, but all of those organizations putting their heads together, uh, coming up with, you know, different ways and, uh, and different techniques and, and strategies on how to push the sport. I mean, you couldn't ask for a better situation, in my opinion. Yeah, it's just pretty exciting. So I think this kind of in a nutshell tells us exactly, what, you know, what's going to happen next. Uh, we got Utah, Texas Elite. From what I'm told, some of the majority of the players are going to go to that squad. Um, I'll get some beef from this, of course, because you know and clarity is always the issue in women's in the women's uh, gridiron game. So uh, Holly, you're gonna have to back me up with some blankets and some, and some uh, fisticuffs or something. But anyways, um, <laughs> basically, it, it turns out that you know the the two squads split. Major- some players are going to go towards. Um, the IWFL side, and other players are going to stay in the WFA. So it was clarified by me, um, you know, in, in, in the post, and then it was actually uh, clarified more thoroughly by actually Lisa King, who actually messaged me to explain to me that obviously the, it was not a rebrand, that it was basically a new team in the IWFL, and that the Dallas Elite would still be in the WFA. So we still have two elite teams if you want to say that. Uh, now we have two squads separated in the half. One's playing in the IWFL, the other one's playing in the WFA. So um, that's pretty much what it boils down to. We'll see if the on-field play for the Texas Elite in the IWFL is at, uh, is at equal to the Dallas Elite play in the WFA, because if it is, we're going to see a great matchup against Utah. Yeah, I think um... – you know, from what I understand, that's basically what happened as well. And I think the interesting part is um, from the names that have been floated for the Texas Elite squad for the IWFL team, it looks like they have a lot of veterans. Um, I don't know who's left on the Dallas Elite team. I'd have to, like, go out and try to, you know, tease it out from, from their old roster and kind of work it out that way. But the interesting thing for both, sides and both elite squads in either league is one of the things that made Dallas so great is they had a lot of numbers. And and when you have a lot of numbers on your roster on top of being a good team, it really makes it difficult for other teams to compete with you on a full game basis. Because I've played on teams that were good but didn't have the numbers and you, you get really tired by the time the fourth quarter runs around and you can't catch your breath because there's only 15 people on, on your side and the other side has 50, 60. It's really hard. The interesting thing is, are both sides going to be able to recruit well enough to keep their, their numbers up? So that's going to be the interesting thing to me. 
Troy, was that shocking for you that uh, Odessa was moving on to the IWFL? Or was that something in the back of your mind? You were like, at some point, that's going to happen since we had Heroku and Christina on. No, actually, I thought, you know, that, uh, you know, especially since Dallas Elite, they won the championship. I thought, you know, they were kind of primed for dominance in that, in that league. Um, and I didn't know that this was an effect. And I'm actually even more shocked that, you know, you just told me as far as, you know, this is not a rebranding, which is what I thought it would have been. Um, but it's, it's an actual, um, you know, splitting of, of, the, of the two teams. I mean, uh, it's a splitting into two teams. And, you know, they're going like 50-50 roster-wise. Um, yeah, I'm actually pretty shocked by that. But I just think, um, listen, with, with, again, with, with Odessa's leadership, and she has that magnetic personality, I don't think she'll have a problem finding people, um, you know, and to you know to work the organization and also, and more importantly, uh, get players to play on the field. I just think she has that kind of personality where she draws people in. So, uh, you know, I, I think things will still be looking up for Odessa. In the Texas, in the Texas elite. Yeah, I, I'm looking forward to see how that happens. Um, Holly, given what we're at now, um, do you do you foresee the Dallas elite returning to the national scene in the WFA next year? That's a really hard question. I think really what it comes down to is who's left on that side. And then is the is that group going to be able to recruit well enough to fill in the gaps of the people that are that are leaving to the other side? And so theoretically, they should be able to compete because you know Dallas has always been a hotbed for talent um, on an indie kind of brand of football because you know football is king in, in Texas. Um, and but it's going to be interesting because now in the WFA, you know on the West Coast, it, it's it's a lot slimmer. And you have the L.A. Warriors, and then you have Portland left, and then, you know, it, it's, it's, it's slimmer on, on that side of the fence. So even though uh, the Dallas side, uh, you know, may have to regroup a little bit considering the talent they're losing, at the same time it, it's still uh, set up for them to be competitive. So it's going to be really interesting to see what happens. And the also interesting thing, football-wise, is anytime you have that kind of split like that, it's it's going to be interesting to see how the chemistry is affected, you know, on both sides of the fence. You know, is that going to make those teams better individually, or is that going to kind of mess with the chemistry that they developed in the last uh, few years there? So those are the big questions, really. Yeah, and we I give a shout-out to um, Molly Goodwin out there uh, because she's been placed placed herself back on the board at the USA football. Um, and she's done a tremendous job in terms of, you know, um, starting the, the Boston Renegades, making the Renegades, uh, the Renegades pretty much stand out in Boston sports. So, um, you know, I think that was a big story that everybody overlooked. Um, they have no funding pretty much from any ownership, the ownership left and they had it pretty much start from scratch, sort of a nonprofit mentality. She's been able to kind of, weather the storm and still uh, be able to, to get the team up and running as uh, Adrian Smith said. So, um, you know, we got to give a shout out to, to them out there in Boston for doing what they're doing and then finishing almost, you know, winning the championship in a two year span, given the history that they had prior to that with the militia. Um, so you got to give her a lot of, a lot of credit for that. Yeah, I definitely think so. I mean, 
you know, Boston's been a team that's, that's always, they're kind of a, a staple of women's football. And so when that uh, leadership change happened, I mean, they could have easily fallen apart. They could have easily taken a year off. They could have easily taken a couple of years off or not even come back. And the fact that they were able to not only kind of reinvent themselves, but continue to win on the field, speak volumes to the leadership on that team. Um, and so it was impressive. Now, um, the bigger story in the year was IFAB, you know, the, the IFAB split throughout the year, the, the IFAB organization being a mess, uh, you know, for a long time now, for almost 24 months. And then we had USA Football go to uh, IFAB New York. We had the US FFA created to go with the uh, IFAB Paris. That's still an issue. Um, the story you can find on pretty much on American Football International. Um, you can also find it on our Facebook page in the previous posts. But um, Holly, that's a big story because uh, that that uh, organization is kind of globally to put together everything that has to do with American football outside of the NFL or CFL. And so um, for them to just kind of break apart, uh, I think it sort of hurt the women's game because it was on a momentum level unequal to, you know, the under 19, under 17, and, and, and you know, the, the men's uh, squads in terms of, uh, you know, USA football. So I, I hope that uh, Richard McLeod uh, out of Football Canada will be able to completely put together IFAB once again and, uh, you know, go forward and then include, obviously, the momentum that the women's game has. Yeah, I mean, uh, when I started hearing about uh, the split, that also made me sad because I think before that split, we were we weren't far away from uh, football uh, becoming an Olympic sport, or at least you know very close to it in the next I don't know ten fifteen years or so. And I'm 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 hoping that the, that uh, like you said, the new leadership can kind of um, mend that bridge a bit. And that's the thing that's really tough with football in general, let alone uh, women's football, is you have this commodity that people see value in and they see potential in it. And then there's a lot of disagreement on which direction to go. And there's a lot of hurt uh, feelings and, and, you know, fallout between, like, uh, different um, parties trying to figure out which way to go. And, And instead of making the direction easier to find, that conflict sometimes can break down and uh, and hurt the progress. However, sometimes that breakdown actually uh, invigorates people to progress forward. So I'm hoping that's the case here because I, I think that the sport of women's football is growing extremely fast, and we need some guidance on where we're going with it too. Um, I, I know that we, a lot of us have opinions on which direction we think we're going, but the, the more we can get on the same page with that vision, the more we're going to progress uh, the way we actually should be. So uh, we'll see what happens. And the battle, I think now, more so than ever since I've been covering it, the, the question is, do we want to go pro or do we want to stay recreational? That's really the two, the two questions that you have to answer. Do we go pro? Because you have uh, leagues, lacrosse just started a pro league, uh, rugby league, major league rugby just started. There's a lot of other sports 
that are going pro, in other words, you know, starting a six to eight team nationals type of league with branding. So you cannot say that there isn't uh, a sponsorship interest. I think it's just a matter of presenting it in, in the right light uh, to get it out there. And I think that's the debate here is what the women's game in the U S on both sides, one of, one of the leagues needs to address the question, are we going pro or are we staying, or are we staying with recreational model? That's the hard part yeah, that's happening right now. I think that's the fight. You're absolutely right. And, um, in my like I, ideal world, if I had you know like a magic wand and money was not an issue, and I had this much pull, I would make a professional league, and then I would have a minor league that would feed that. Uh, because another thing that we need to work on as uh, as women's football is to develop um, the younger talent, and that's starting to happen more. But we we need we would benefit from a feeder system. Because not a lot of, um, just not like teams of complete teams of women's football out there uh, in a high school level um, as much as there should be. And until that happens, we need to find a a feeder type situation. And I think that would actually address both of those questions. And But honestly, the the sport should be pro. Uh, And I think, honestly, that we could end up being a bigger uh, deals and even the, like the WNBA, uh, just you know, on the simple fact, that especially in America, we love football, and there's there's a uh, hunger for football in this country, especially and across the globe. And I think it's evident that that hunger is growing. And so, um, if we put out a great product, there's no reason why we shouldn't be pro. It's just a matter of getting our ducks in a row getting in front of the right people and having the leadership in place to know how to navigate that. And the problem is is that you have some people that treat it professionally and you have some people that treat it like a recreate. And uh, like you said, so that push and pull goes back and forth. And until we all get on the same page, it's going to be tough. I always said um, that if one of the leagues decided to go with the LFL model, in terms of just, you know, scope, in terms of six teams or eight teams mentality with the one ownership, which at this point would be like more of a group ownership, you know, like a a board mentality. If they went into a board mentality to push six to eight teams out there, just like Legends does, um, and you elevate the, you know, the uh, visibility, in other words, like a a better YouTube coverage, better camera, you know, things like that, that it would be a hit right away. Because if, if they're a hit, the way they are now, imagine if, you know, like you're saying, if you got to that stage of pro level, you, you it would be a draw. Yeah, I, I think so. And I think it's a uh, something that will compound on itself because if you – it's kind of like the field of dreams. If you build it, they will come kind of idea in that um, if you were to put together, even if it was in a smaller um, – like a smaller regional type of feel, like a professional league, and you, you market it well and get it out there, what's going to happen is the interest is going to increase. You're going to find players that, you know, didn't even know that football existed before that will now know, and they will want to play, and the interest will just compound on itself. So that's really, I, I think, you know, something that does need to happen. And if it were up to me, I would have 
maybe you could test it out with a smaller region, but I think I think really we need to get to the point, honestly, where the professional side of it, there's only one team per major market. We can't afford to keep having 12 teams in one major market anymore. And that's the part that I think makes it rec- like it's like a rec league. Because in a rec league, you know, you go down to your city basketball league and there's 20 billion teams and anybody can play, and that's great. But if you're looking for something more competitive, that's not going to really cut it. And that's there's a reason why there's only one team for major market except for markets like New York or L.A. that can really handle it and professional sports. There's a reason for that. And so we can't keep having these, like, small divisions and arguments and somebody's feelings get hurt. Now we add another team in the same major market thing anymore. We, we need to have one major team per market and then maybe have, like, a minor league team, like a rec level type of team if people want to play still. But there needs to be more thought into how we're presenting ourselves as a sport. And I think one of the things we need to do better is only allowing one team per major market. I think uh, one of the uh, one of the conversations I've had with other people before is if we took the baseball model to women's football, I think that would work, right? Yeah, like the minor leagues, that's something that I definitely think would work because here's the thing, for example, in Seattle, right, we have Seattle – we have Everett, we have Tacoma, right? What you could do, what happens in a, in a major market when you have three or four teams in the same area is it it, uh, it really dilutes the talent. You might have really good players on each team, but because they're all spread out all over the place, the, the area is not as productive as it could be. So what you could do in the Seattle area is have one professional team and then have the other two teams still exist, but just have it be so you have to try out for the professional team. If you don't make it, you can play on the minor league team and kind of work your way up. And that way the professional team also has uh, players uh, like a feeder system that they can work with, like in baseball. So if somebody um, is hurt on the professional side or they're not performing as well or you, you have some sort of gap, you can fill that with somebody from your minor league side. And I think it would really help the sport. It would take care of, of that a lot. And I think it would be a great idea, honestly. And I think, you know, the salary base, uh, from the conversation I had with a couple of folks in the past year or so, the salary base isn't a big deal because you don't make anything in the minor leagues. I mean, you, you make an average, what, 30000 40000 at, at the end of the year on the minor leagues, but you're still getting supplemented, right? It's still pro. You're still getting paid. You're still getting some supplemental uh, until you until you go to the big team, as you're saying, and you get the bigger contract. So everybody wins in that aspect because even the minor league is going to be pulling in some money. The player uh, at the minor league level is still going to earn some money. And if you make it to the big, you know, the big stage, obviously you're going to get bigger money and a bigger uh, take of that. So uh, I think that would be the model to go with. A lot of the international teams, or you know, the Maple League, for example, in Finland, does that type of scope. Um, the FX Mexico does that type of scope too, uh, where they have four divisions and division one is their primary. So if you win division two, for example, then you, you get an opportunity to be elevated to the next level based on roster sustainability. And so, um, same, same concept happened. I think this past week in Finland in the Maple league, where there's a couple teams that were bumped to, uh, to play in the Maple league, uh, Maple league, which is the division one. 
and then they call it Division One below the Maple League, but technically it's Division Two. Um, so you get knocked down to Division Two if your squad is, you know, finishes last or doesn't perform as well. So I think that's growth stability right there because you you know if you get bumped down to Division Two, your attitude is I need to get back up to you know to the Division One level. Yeah, I think that's a, you can do it that way with like a tier system uh, type of uh, mentality. But I think what actually would be better is if you you stick with like let's just keep with Seattle because I know the area. But there's the Seattle team, and you pull talent from all three teams, and you say this is the best talent on those all three teams. This is the Seattle team. And then the remaining two teams are filled up with everybody else who wants to play that couldn't make it onto the Seattle team. I think if you do the tier system where people are moving up and down, but you allow there to be smaller market teams that do that, it kind of defeats the purpose. I think, like if you look at the NFL, right, they're all major markets except for Green Bay, and Green Bay is kind of the exception to everything just because, they own their own team, and they're kind of crazy up, you know, in, in that area of the country. Other than that, you're talking about New York. You're talking about Miami. You're talking about markets. And there's a reason why when teams are looking to move, they're looking at major markets because that's where the people are and that's where, therefore, the money is. And that's where the bigger TV contracts are. You're not going to find somebody that's going to uh, – you know, be like, okay, I'm going to start a team in the middle of nowhere in Nebraska and expect it to market well. So I think until we get to the point where we realize we have to focus on the market, I think that's going to be a hard hindrance for us. I agree. Troy, uh, do you feel at this point that they're holding themselves back because it's always been that type of thing, you know, they're pushing pulling, pushing, pulling, but they're never really going forward in terms of one strategic effect? Well, I just think what right now is what they're trying to do is figure out what the best strategy is to be. And, and right now, I don't think there's a there's a perfect formula. Now, with the, you know, everyone has an idea, but the problem is, is you know, are they willing to risk, um, you know, a, a lot of the money that, and, and time that's, that, that are being invested if that venture fails. So right now I just feel like that each league and along with inside the league, each team is really just trying to play it safe right now and and, and sort of stay the course. I think most of the franchises that are out there are taking their models and their cues from other successful franchises that are in their own league and, and successful franchises that are in other leagues. And they're watching that model and they're seeing how they're doing. Um, but I think that has also been – Part of the reason why some of them have failed also because not every market as you guys have already alluded to is going to, to net you the same result. And so I think it's more of a thing where knowing your audience, knowing your demographic, knowing your area, uh, I think it goes a long way into uh, finding success with your teams. And I just think right now, you know, in women's football, there is yet to be a team to master that. I think right now, um, Maybe if you look at the LFL, has been the closest as far as uh, getting revenue streams going. I mean, because they do have a variety of sponsors. They have, you know, the YouTube channel, and initially they did have a TV contract. So I guess you would say right now 
they have gotten the farthest uh, out of all of them. And even that model wasn't perfect, but they did have to change up some things uh, with that as well. But I just think right now, each one of these teams and leagues, they're kind of looking for the perfect formula, and they're kind of trying different things here and there to see how it works. And, um, you know, I just think it'll be that way until someone decides either they're going to invest a large sum of money that's involved with it or someone that gets involved in these leagues who already has a sum of money and is, is willing to take that risk. But right now, most of these teams are really just not ready to take that kind of risk to, you know, to um, uh, put themselves out there, especially financially like that. I agree. I think it's it's going to be pretty interesting to see how 2018 turns out in terms of the IWFL shift, the WFA, you know, um, reworking itself with teams, obviously, that went to the IWFL. Uh, the international growth in the sport will be interesting to see how that gets impacted in 2018. Um, so a lot of things are happening. IFAB may be patching itself back up and going forward. Um, so um, the news came out this week. Uh, the WFA 2018 National Championship will be hosted by the Atlanta Phoenix. That will be in July of 2018. So that was the big news this, this week. So um, it was over in Pittsburgh the last two years. Now it's going to be in Hotlanta. Uh, so Troy, um, it's I don't know if it's centralized, but I guess it is because uh, to Holly's point, most of the teams are on the East Coast. So I guess Atlanta does make sense to have a championship there. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's that's another one of these um, uh, the business aspects that we're speaking on uh, is, is travel, and that's that's something that really doesn't. Uh, maybe it doesn't come to mind to a lot of the fans who are out there who want to see the sport, but, I mean, there, there is a cost of that travel, and I just think if you, since you have most of the teams that are on the East Coast, it will be easier for the for the majority of the teams. And I think that, that kind of led into why they would also have it there, too. I mentioned, I mean, just the weather is great around that time of year, um, uh, you know, in, in the Atlanta area. So I just think that really goes, that bodes well for them. The other big news was IWFL news from the uh, Austin Yellow Jackets that Ann Wolf, who played Artemis on the Wonder Woman movie, uh, will be joining the staff to help out with the football side of things. So that was huge, kind of a Hollywood type of a star. Made a big, big, uh, you know, performance in Wonder Woman. So um, Holly, what, what did you think of that news when it came out? I thought it was pretty cool. Um, I mean, I, I like the movie a lot. And so um, I think anytime you have somebody that has had that kind of exposure on that kind of stage, when you have them join the staff, uh, just on its surface, it's a good thing for the sport because it just brings more attention to the fact, you know, that uh, that we exist. But uh, from my understanding, she she's well, she's definitely somebody – uh, that has experience and is going to actually help their their squad, so it should be a really good fit for them. Troy, does this give uh, Austin an edge, given the Texas Elite now and San Diego Surge? And I mean, they've been there almost. Uh, you know, last year they were there and they get edged by Falcons, but you know, more more durable quality coaching obviously can only give you get you better. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, anytime you can add a, a, a you know a football mind to your organization, I mean, it gives you a leg up. It's just you know what matters at this point is how much of that cohesion 
and and how are they going to get along once you know um, once they get behind the doors? Because there is a such thing as chemistry, and if she can be if she can be able to bring that chemistry to that organization, then she'll definitely be a help. All right, guys. Uh, other news that we got to talk about: uh, LFL Europe tour is going to happen in January. Uh, it was set up uh, a couple months ago, so you guys can uh, follow us on Twitter or you can go to the LFLUS.com site. It's going to be pretty much an all-fantasy tour through Poland. It's going to be January, all month of January through Poland, so that'll be uh, pretty exciting for some of the players there. Uh, the other big news that came out was uh, Kim Chase, formerly of the LA Temptation and the Seattle Miss, will actually be on the roster for the uh, LFL Nashville Knights by head coach um, Danica Brace was the announcement. So uh, Kim Chase, uh, Troy, pretty big, uh, pretty big girl. She did some amazing things with the temptation and um, with Seattle, she won a cup as well. So that's an added bonus right there for the Knights who are just brand new. I'm always a big advocate of leadership. Uh, You know, I think everybody's listening to the show um, hears that. And, And when you add championship pedigree to your team, I just think that that bodes well because what you want to do is if you want to win, you want to surround people in your organization that are used to winning, that have been around winning, and they have a formula for it, and they've seen how it's done. And I just think uh, you have a much better chance when you do that. If you add that winning kind of attitude and winning pedigree to your program, that bodes well for everyone. All right. The other big news that I got internally is, uh, Legends Football League is now going to a real sports model, from what I heard. So they will be looking for um, career positions uh, and internship positions in sports media for social media, talent management, video production, and game day uh, support. So um, you, if you guys are interested, anybody listening interested, it's talent at LFLUS.com. Uh, from what I'm told, you know, this is what year eight now, almost year nine, and now we're starting to go serious. So, Troy, we've talked about it in the past, where you know, if you don't have a, a marketing brand uh, support system team, uh, you're not going to get there because it's so competitive in the sports realm. You know, you got basketball, you got football, you got uh, every other avenue, music, concerts. So, if you don't have somebody uh, driven in the business model, you're not surviving. I think it shows on their end. You know, they falter in New England. They couldn't make it in certain markets. Minnesota, they bailed out. You know, So it's like you can't just open a team and then get, you know, leave in what, like they did in Dallas. Dallas Desires um, was a good team, good fan base. It was a good turnout. And all of a sudden they uproot and they, they just leave to Denver. And somehow Denver shows up and they're a disaster. So, um, I mean, that's just one of the issues that's happened there. So hopefully that's good news for them to sustain themselves within the sports uh, competitive market. Yeah, I mean, but, and, and here we are again, where we're talking about um, kind of just making the move. And I think the teams who saw that were the Dallas desire, and they move out to Denver, and then, you know, um, not only did they lose players, but then, you know, the organization shifted in a completely different direction. And we'll see how they go from here, but I think a lot of other teams who were possibly contemplating that or teams or people who are thinking about getting into it kind of saw that. And now, you know, what that is is, you know, they, they're probably learning from that and saying that may not be the way to go. 
So I just think that, you know, it is a cautionary tale. <clears throat> it can be used as a cautionary tale in that respect. All right. Hey, Troy, uh, Legends, they don't have a feeder system, but I got news from an inside source uh, down south, uh, an actual person that I know up down south with some of the leagues up there. There is seven uh, leagues out there that, are, that play legend style. And one of the leagues out of uh, Sinaloa, which is the uh, ladies, um, uh, ladies football uh, Pacifico, um, the coach out of the Austin Acoustics, Mike uh, Pereira, he went out there to recruit in those leagues. And she, he brought over, I think, almost 10 players from that league that are actually in tryouts right now. So I think Mitch and the coaches in the LFL, they're going to have, they're going to go, they're going to go to Mexico to try to get some talent, given the fact that there's about six to eight leagues down there that play that style. Well, I mean, that's what it comes down to. I mean, in any sport, right? What it comes down to is recruiting. And can you get the best players in your organization? And I just think, you know, tapping into that talent base down there, if they play your style, they're familiar with the way that you play the game. If you're going to come, if you're going to get players into your system, that's the best way to start is get people who are familiar with what you do, and that can go right along with the system that you have. All right. Um, Holly, let's go to uh, Australia. And this weekend, uh, Gridiron West, first year in Gridiron West, but we're uh, basically almost into week 11. The Perth Blitz is undefeated. They take care of the Curtain Saints 16-6. to uh, curtains are they fall to three and three. Let's go to six and zero. Oh. Um, they're basically the team to beat. Um, but uh, it's a it's a good competitive league so far. It's been pretty tight games out there in uh, Gridiron West. So, um, what do you say that league now? It's pretty it's it's pretty exciting season so far. Yeah, I mean you know from just following it. Um... Uh, the last couple of years here, I think it's really starting to, to develop, and I, I've noticed that uh, it's gotten more competitive, and so it bodes well for uh, the, the sport in that league going forward, uh, because you don't want it to be where there's, uh, there's no development um, across the board in the depth of those teams, and it seems to be like that there is. So I'm excited. Um, to see that um, and and to learn more about it. So, yeah, it's, it's exciting. And kind of interesting story there, right? They had ladies, they had the Ladies Great Iron League, which is Legend-style league. Uh, that faltered after a year. And all and the team, the Perth, uh, we're talking about the Perth Blitz, uh, were, con- were considered the West Coast Angels out of uh, Perth, you know, West, uh, West Australia. So uh, Nick, uh, Nicole Harvey, one of the owners there. And so um, she decided at this point that the ladies gridiron league was not going to come back for a second season. And she is the one with a bunch of people that actually created the full kit gridiron West league and brought it to attention to the men's clubs and they supported it. And here we are first year to all those people involved to get it up and running. Yeah, I think it's it's a great thing, and something I've done a lot is in a lot of these leagues in Australia and the UK and other places in, in Europe, you know, the, they tend to have uh, a, a connection with a, a fellow men's team in their area, and that makes me happy because 
that means that they have, you know, men in their area that are supporting them, and that's important that they get that respect, you know, from, from those male uh, competitors in that area. And uh, so I think that's a good thing for the, the sport. All right. The other thing that happened in Australia was the Opal Championship. Uh, it was the UNSW Raiders. Uh, shout out to our No Joke Football supporters out there, Kate Gardner, uh, Renee Hahn, uh, and uh, Stacey Spears, who are on the Raiders squad. Um, they take care of business. They defeated the Ack Diamonds 27 to 18. And so uh, we got to also give props to the Ack Diamonds all season. They lost the championship to your girl out there, DeGroote, in the Ack Gridiron season about a couple months ago. And they decided that they did not, didn't have enough football in them, that they wanted to stay competitive and play another season. So they uh, were accepted to play in the uh, New South Wales League. And lo and behold, here they're in the. Uh, they're runner-ups once again. <laughs> so that says a lot about their squad. Yeah, I mean, anytime you can be competitive and and, and regroup like they did and still be competitive again, I, I think it, it speaks to their, their leadership. Um, and I'm really happy anytime I can see that uh, Danny is doing well. It just makes me proud of, uh, as her former teammate. So it's awesome. Yeah, so Troy, you know what? Um, isn't that cool? I mean, it, they they are runner up in their own league, which is a short season, and then they just turned around and said, "Hey, we're not done with football. We just want to go play more football." So they uh, they go to New South Wales, and then they they get accepted into the league before the season starts, and here they are, one step to a title. Hey, you know that they're, they're just ball players. You know, they just hey, put me on the field. We can play some football. Like what, what's an off season? Never heard of. I love it. I mean, listen, that'd be that'd be the greatest thing. And if you, if, if teams could actually do that over here, I mean, just imagine. You know, if you you know what that sounds like. It sounds like something Jim Harbaugh would do at Michigan. Oh yeah. <laughs> it seems like something he'd be like, oh yeah. Like hey, listen, we want to get some football in. Let's go ahead and join the semi-pro team and play against these guys, man, and see what we can do. Let's get some get some live action out here. I love it. But, you know, I guess rules and all those things come into play here. But over there, man, that's just great. If they want to play football, I mean, that's, I, I thought that's, that's an awesome idea, man. And I, get to, I get to tell you this. The Diamonds, you know, from their season uh, getting beat by the uh, Central Spears, they go into – and they almost – uproot the perfect season for the Raiders. So that's that's right in itself. They come in, they could have been spoilers. They could have literally ruined uh, the Raiders' season. But the Raiders win their third competitive championship, third year in a row that the Raiders take the title in uh, Gridiron New South Wales. So congratulations to them on their outstanding season. This past weekend, Lexfa in Mexico had a national tournament that, it, that uh, consisted of all regions, Mexico region down south, the Torreon region, the Monterey region, and the Abajo region all came together in a tournament, a week, big weekend tournament. And so uh, congratulations to them. This is uh, another step for them to elevate the game uh, to a huge stage because Lexfa and FXX, um, they're going to be the two leagues where their uh, national squad is going to be uh, um, accumulated. You know, the athletes are being accumulated for the national squad. So, Holly, um, 
this is great because the Mexican Federation is really stepping up now to put together these two leagues and, um, you know, get them to another level to compete, obviously, on the world stage. Yeah, I think it's huge. Um, I mean, from what I understand, um, uh, Andy uh, Romero played really well. And I think when I was watching uh, some of the clips, you could tell that there's actually a lot of people there watching. And it seems like there's some excitement around women's football in Mexico. And I think they've done a really good job um, of, of treating the sport with the respect that it deserves. Uh, at the same time, they've worked really hard to uh, find and recruit new talent and develop it. And I think they take um, the international uh, scene very seriously. And I think it's a point of pride for them on the national level that they want to do well. So they're, they're working on developing the sport to much, as much as they can so they can continue uh, to compete on that level. And I think it's really cool to watch. Yeah, and uh, the Vikingas uh, Championship, once again, champions. Uh, they played an awesome game, and you can watch it on our Twitter feed as well and our Facebook page. Uh, we want to give a shout-out to Tercer Cuarto for their live coverage as well, and uh, OFA Networks, who obviously co- uh, contributed to a lot of the coverage as well. Tercer Cuarto and OFA Networks, who uh, are con- big, big-time fans of uh, the two leagues. And uh, Lexfo, like I said, the national t- national tournament here, really to figure out where the talent is in this league that will be, you know, as you were saying, Holly, where you're taking that Seattle model, right, where there's four teams are in. So Lexfo is really taking all four regions, and then from that reassessing each each region, and then taking the best players from that region, and then uh, basically submitting those to the national team. To, to, for them to go to tryouts, which is a, a very good method, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's basically what, you know, um, college football, especially, you know, uh, a few decades ago was all about was finding your local talent. Now it's at a different stage where you recruit across the country. But for, for the most part, in the early years, college football was, okay, who's in my backyard? Who can I recruit in this area? And um, so I think it's a really good starting point. Troy, taking four regions, putting them in a one-weekend tournament, and then obviously there's people obviously scouting, that is huge because if if they can take, you know, what, two, four, six, eight, a 50-man roster from four different regions um, to the national team, um, you know, coaches, then obviously you're going to take the best players in, in pretty much in the country, and that gives you a huge lift when you have to compete for the next uh, world championship. Yeah, it's almost like a, you know, like a quadruple all-star game with, a, you know, in this tournament style. I mean, who wouldn't want to watch that? I mean, that, that, yeah, I mean, whenever you're, you're adding a talent around, and, you know, and, you know, we can see a lot of the conferences, the talent isn't even. Most of the time, you'll have one dominant, one or two dominant teams, and they're kind of sitting their way. Uh, they've been sitting at the top for a while, but then if you start to spread those great players from each team around, and then you have a fourteen tournament, I mean that that definitely adds some intrigue to everything. And I, I definitely want to take that, take a look at that. Now, Holly, uh, these two leagues, kind of IWFL and WFA in the states. So uh, this year, we got to be very proud of 
all their progress that they've made. So you got to give a shout out to both of them because they're, they're making huge strides. Uh, you know, the IWFL in the, um, and the WFA in the States is kind of like the, you know, the team, the leagues that we follow. And these are the leagues that we're mm-hmm. going to be basically focusing down South. And then you have the WWCFL up North who also a uh, nine team league who's done a tremendous job up North in Canada. So North America is pretty solid in terms of, uh, elevating the game on the women's side right now, and it seems like it's going to continue to do that. Yeah, I, th- I think you're right. And uh, one of the things that uh, is a good point is with the tournament down in Mexico, those two uh, leagues, you know, are, are collaborating because they're, they're focused on the progression of the sport. And I, I hope that maybe one day we'll get to the point where we have more of that in the states. And uh, but. I think it's really good for the sport to have uh, some stability on a league level, um, and hopefully that helps us. All right, guys. Um, so the year in review right here for the for women's uh, American football was awesome. So um, I just wait, go back to you know the WFA National Championship, uh, the Dallas Elite winning it, Utah Falcons winning the IWFL Championship, um, the King Dust down south. Um, and so um, the Saskatchewan um, Valkyries as well, um, and you also have uh, Lexfa, which was um, won by. I'm trying to get my notes here. The Jets got beat this year, and I'm trying to figure out. Oh, uh, Legionarius, Legionarius uh, Unitor, Unitor won the Lexfa Division One Championship. So congratulations to all the teams there, as well as all the teams overseas in the international realm that uh, won in their uh, league. Uh, respectively. So I'll get a shout out to all the coaches out there, all the players, the amount of time and effort. Um, but it was a great year of women's football. And we look forward to another year in 2018 of more competitive and covering the sport and taking it to another level. Um, I want to give everybody a shout out right now, this month, huge month for us. Uh, I cannot be more happy and ecstatic. Um, the no joke football shop total record this this whole month, uh, and that's a, I, I want to you know I want to thank everybody out there that has purchased a shirt from us or a, a hoodie or leggings or uh, whatever we got on the shop. We got almost over 100 items in the shop, but um, I want to thank everybody out there for supporting our project. Every shirt that you purchase goes into a dollar pool. The dollar pool then at that point gets accumulated based on the amount of shirts. So an average shirt is $25 or 20 bucks or whatever. As soon as we accumulate 20, $25, that shirt uh, purchase will go towards another player in the international game. That is MVP quality that we will, we will take care of. And that's including the States or it's going to be overseas. So, so far we've been able to do that over the last uh, five or so years. And uh, we make no money. In other words, we, the shop doesn't profit from anything because the amount of money that we earn gets back, gives back to a player to spotlight a player on social media, uh, on visually or on our platforms. So uh, I want to just uh, thank everybody that has purchased a shirt that has contributed to that and has made an impact for us to bring awareness to the sport uh, on social media platforms. So um, uh, that was a great news today. I, I got the final end results uh, on our tally sheet. And so guys, I, I can't be more proud. It's like, this is huge. And this month alone, I think we sold almost 30, sh- 30 shirts so far. Yeah, I think that's, it's great. I mean, um, 
it speaks not only to the progression of the program and the idea that you started, but it also speaks to uh, that there's a demand for it. And so I think uh, I think we should all collectively, um, as people involved in the sport, be happy. So the most popular shirt on the site, if you want to go get it, not a boys game, is one of the shirts that's very popular. Uh, the Believe in Yourself, which is the big, bold BU shirt, um, that's one of those as well. And the ever-popular no-joke football uh, chalk line shirt. So those are the three that are obviously selling pretty well. So we want to thank everybody that, for helping us out that way. I uh, really appreciate it. So you can go to Zazzle.com forward slash Gridiron Beauties, and you can check out the site there. And every day there's a daily special, uh, sometimes up to 50% off on certain items. So check it out. Use the code, save some money, and support the project. So, All right, um, Holly, so we go from the women's game, a year in recap, and let's start with uh, the NFL. We, we started kind of poking at it. Um, so, Holly, Kaepernick and Diddy going to buy the Panthers. Any thoughts there? I think I think it would actually be terrific. Uh, I mean, it would be a sitting in to this season, especially since all, all the turmoil that's happened, you know, uh, because of the protests and Trump and all that. There's nothing more fitting than if you have – two African-American gentlemen who uh, go in or completely purchase the Panthers, I think that would speak volumes. And I think it would be a, a fresh change uh, as far as the, the leadership of the owners in, 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 uh, in the NFL. Um, I think there's too many, honestly, you know, white old men in that arena. And I think we need to diversify it. And I think having more voices at that level will only help the become better and and I really believe in diversity in the workplace as especially as an HR person because the, the more viewpoints that you have the the more creativity that you you can come uh can come up with and I think it would be great for the league to have that happen Troy uh at this point Mr. Richardson is either bailing out leaving town and so uh Diddy basically publicly on a tweet said he's interested um, but uh, Cap hasn't mentioned it, you know, off the start. But that would be something unique in the in a sense. But at the same time, it's kind of a risky venture because you're getting into this bigger scope of things with NFL. So, um, you know, given his success in the music world, I'm pretty sure he would be able to assign some great thing of a general manager to get taking things care of. Well, you know, in res- let's just say this. Um, I think it would be fantastic for, you know, for Sean Combs to uh, to become, you know, the majority owner of the Carolina Panthers. But I, I don't think, I think there's very little risk him buying an NFL team because there is probably no more guaranteed money in this country than you would have than owning an NFL team with the television money that they get in. Yeah, I mean, the, the fan base, they're coming to the game no matter who the owner is. Look, the, you know, the Redskins have Daniel Snyder, and this town hates Daniel Snyder, but they keep showing up to these games. So I, I just think there's no more guaranteed money there. But as as uh, Holly was alluding to earlier, I just think it's time for diversity. Um, it would be great to have a black ownership 
um, uh, leadership, but ownership in the NFL. Uh, there's also been rumors that Brooke, uh, Oprah Winfrey is, is involved in it as well. And she's and, she, and let's be clear though, she's really the only one that has a, a billion dollar tag after her name. I mean, uh, Sean Combs is close to it. I think it's, he's, his net worth is like something like nine hundred million. And for him to get to that two point three a billion dollar evaluation that the Carolina Panthers have already been said, he's going to lead a lot of people that's going to come in behind him. So well over either way. So I just think it would be a great thing to do. Um, I just think if, if he, whoever gets that team, they're going to make money no matter what. But I just really hope that, you know, there is some diversity that comes along with this next move. Now, if we would have hit the Bitcoin like two years ago, three years ago, we'd probably be that crowd right now. But that never happened. <laughs> you know, I, I, I heard. I keep, Go ahead. I, I keep kicking myself because a friend of mine told me about that years ago. And. I would laugh at him, and I, you know, he, I would say, "Look, it's, it, you know, your your Bitcoin is all the way down to, you know, a nickel per share now." And now look at it, and you know, he's he's sitting back just laughing like a moon right now. And it, it, it's really sad that I didn't get involved with that. I wish I would have got into it when it was what I was. Seriously, we'd be on the Carolina Panthers bid right now, technically. But um, <laughs> all right, well, I mean. It, it sounds it sounds good. Um, I don't know if the you know the bitcoin's gonna explode at some point and just evaporate because that happens. You know you can make some money right away and then it goes. But um, I don't have the type of cash to buy the Carolina Panthers, but apparently Diddy does. So and Oprah. So hopefully that's gonna be the case and that's great. It's a great market. I mean for them for both of them it's a great market. I mean they, they can't be better situated where they're at. Yeah, I think it's a, it is a great market. Uh, uh, Carolina really has a, a good following. They have a good team. They have a passionate fan base. And and like Tori said, at, at some point, it, it kind of doesn't even almost matter because you're getting so much money from the DT contract. But um, I think it's – I mean, if I, if I had that kind of money, like Carolina would totally be a market that I, I would go after. Uh, uh, because I, I think it has a lot of uh, weight behind it. Um, and like you were saying with Bitcoin, like I've uh, read up a lot about it. And from what I understand, you know, as well as Bitcoin has, has done, they might end up just being the first version of it. Um, and it actually has a couple flaws in it that might uh, eventually make it crash. But there's going to be other... Uh, companies and versions coming after it that are going to be even more impactful. So I think Bitcoin in itself is is great, but it's the idea behind it, the, the math behind it, that's really the key piece. And so it's going to be crazy to see what happens in the future. We might all be purchasing everything, you know, to, through that avenue. So we'll, we'll find out, though. <laughs> it's kind of unique to figure that if it's going to come to that. But uh, it's interesting. I mean, I know for a fact that, you know, that was interesting at one point, but I didn't get on the road either on the train, so it derailed off my side. But somebody else, like Troy says, they hung on, and they're all cashing in at this point. So um, let's see. Troy, uh, my Rams, what a performance in Seattle. And this boy right here was just glee, 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 34-0. Go 30, go 30. Wow. 
Yeah, I mean, I, honestly, I mean, I I saw the Rams winning that game. I picked them to win that game, but not that, like not like that. I mean, geez, I, in Seattle. I mean, I know listen, Seattle's got a bunch of injuries at this point in the season. Everyone has a bunch of injuries, um, but man, they really just took them to the woodshed, the proverbial woodshed. And you know, there's another thing that I wanted to discuss with the Seattle team. And I'll just get off of them because I think right now we should really be talking more about the Rams. But I'm so sick of seeing that team. Every time they lose a game, it's just like they finger pointing, they're fighting each other, the other team. Just they're doing all that kind of stuff. Just be professionals, man. But listen, congratulations to the Rams. They definitely deserve it. Uh, I know your favorite coach in the world is sitting at home and saying to himself, "Well, I could have did that." But listen, man, they, they took an actual real coach to go out there and lead that team, they deserve all the accolades right now. They're moving at a high rate, and I, I can't wait to see them in the playoffs because it looks like they're headed toward a home playoff game in Los Angeles, California. The NFL could not be happier right now to have that going on. Yeah, and, you know, I spent 100 bucks on a banner. Well worth it this year. So well worth it. That just bank money right there. That was just so awesome. Um, thank you, Jeff Fisher, for leaving town. That's all I got to say right there. Thank you very much. Um, Holly, uh, you sent me a nice uh, nice little meme about the uh, Seattle bandwagon and they're going off the cliff. And, God, I, I, you're so on point. You were so on point even before this whole thing happened. Well, I would just like to say these are one of the few moments in, you know, um, and sports analysis that you get to kind of really pat yourself in the back. And I would like to say I saw this coming a mile away. I know that Troy might have not seen the blowout, but I kind of I did, honestly. Um, considering the amount of implosion that the Seahawks defense was having the last couple of weeks, plus the, the injuries, plus, like you have alluded to, the name-pointing, um, it it just it was ripe for a blowout, and listen to this. Okay, so Wilson, as as I've been saying all year, it, it's the entire Seattle offense at this point, and he went 14 for 30. Okay, so not very not very, um, and then without his rushing yards, Seattle only had 39 team rushing yards without Russell's, which is only another like 30. Okay, so now compare that 39. Gurley, who had 152 yards. Okay, now add on the rest of the team. So the team of the Rams had 244 team rushing yards to 39 for the Seahawks. That's the game in itself. Gurley just ran all over the damn place on, on this defense. And I honestly, again, I'm going to point the fingers at, uh, at Carroll. I, I think he does a great job of allowing people to be who they are, but at a certain point, you have to be the coach, you have to be the parent in the situation, and you have to put your people in check, and you just not do that well. And so what's happening is you have the, the locker room just in a complete disarray, and I don't know if you guys saw that um, Earl Thomas trying to call out uh, Bobby Wagner for playing, um, and and uh, Wagner saw the interview and and got really angry at Tom and was like, get your name out of my mouth. And, and you know, they, these are two, like, all-pro defensive players. 
and they're leaders on their team, and they're fighting through Twitter. That's how bad Seattle is right now. And I honest to God think this game was the changing of the guard. The Rams are by far the better, the best team in the division. They're on their way up. Seattle's window has been closing. They spent way too much money uh, locking up. Uh, even though I'm a defensive person, they spent too much money on the defense, no money on the offensive line, lost Lynch and wondered why they couldn't run the ball anymore. And then uh, they have a kicker who's probably the worst kicker in the, in the game, and poor Wilson is trying to do everything he can, but he's only one person, and even he has bad games. And so when he has a bad game, it's like they're, they're completely screwed. The Rams, on the other hand, this was their coming out party. I think we've been kind of under the radar as far as media attention has been concerned. But I think by far, you know, you have to give you have to give the coach of the year award, you know, to, to the Rams coach here because I, there's just no question. You know, Fisher leaves and it's a lot of the same players and it's kind of the uh, the dynamic that uh, the Niners had when Harbaugh took over. It was a quick turnaround like that. And they they believe, and I think the Rams uh, definitely made the statement. So the, the Seahawks fans are definitely jumping off the bandwagon left and right. I saw so many comments of like, oh gosh, we're done. Can't believe this. You got to fire Pete Carroll. You got to fire Pete Carroll. Everybody's freaking out. And I think it's just the window's done. And I think the Rams' window is just starting. So if, if I'm you, Oscar, I'm really happy because. I, I just liked watching all the Rams players running around excited on the sideline. That was that was a fun game to watch. Uh, the big thing that I took away from it was the special teams and just the defensive takeaways. I mean, that's just huge right there. The fact that those two sides, the defense and the special teams, are just contributing as well, that's just huge. I, I think the Rams and the Jaguars have the best special teams in the NFL. And, and a lot of people – you know, they forget about special teams because it's not as, you know, sexy on a day-to-day basis. But really, special teams will, will make them break a lot of games for you. And if you have consistent good play on special teams and consistent people that are making uh, big plays, then it's a huge advantage. And so I think you got to uh, look at the special teams for the Rams and say that they're, they're a huge part of, of that as well. Troy, you were going to say? I was going to say that I, I completely agree, especially with the special teams. Um, uh, that, that is so overlooked, especially amongst the fans, where they just really kind of discount what special teams mean. But the Rams, and if you and if you also look around the league right now, the teams that, that you know, you already mentioned the Rams and, and the Jaguars, but then also throw the Philadelphia Eagles in there, who have been great special teams the past four seasons. Um, where they put an emphasis on there, and you see where they're at right now. So I just really love the way that, that uh, you know, the special teams emphasis. But, listen, and the Rams, especially after they took that loss um, uh, to uh, the Vikings, I'm really interested to see how McVay, if they are to meet the Minnesota Vikings in the playoffs, how is he going to adjust uh, the second time around? Because you've got to love the play calling from this kid, man. I mean, he really looks like a survivor out there. And I, I saw the way he was calling plays in uh, Washington. 
And I felt like that he would be, you know, a, a pretty exciting play caller once he got out there in L.A. And yeah, definitely wasn't uh, wrong about that one. Now, we got it. Defense is going well. It doesn't hurt that you have two veteran coaches on the defensive side and the special teams side that were former coaches helping you in your organization. So you got to also mention that. So it's, that's kind of key, too. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, listen, when it comes to an experience, and he said himself that he relies on those guys to, you know, let them know. Uh, you know, especially for in-game experience and, and roster, you know, uh, uh, how to handle kids, guys on the roster and things like that. You, I mean, when it comes together like that, you, you're definitely excited about the prospects of this team, and then you want to see if they can keep that going in the future. All right. Uh, Holly, the Cowboys have to stay alive. They have to win out to win. They take care of the Raiders in the black hole 20-17. to 17. Uh, you get Ezekiel Elliott back next week. What do we say about the Cowboys in the last two weeks here? Well, I think I think they have a chance, you know, to, to win out, but uh, they have to have a lot go right. Uh, they do play the imploding Seahawks this week, um, and I do think they should win that game considering what the Seahawks are going through. Um, it does help with, it, with Ezekiel back. Because, uh, like, like I said before, when he's not in there, Dak tends to do – he tries to do too much. And even in the win last week, he actually didn't play that great statistically. And I think with having his equal back in the backfield, it's going to take that pressure off of him. And he's going to be able to just uh, drop back and, and do his thing without having to try to take it all on. Um, but I do want to bring back up Papergate 2017 – because I don't, I, you guys, I, of course, I'm assuming saw the first down marker and the folding of the piece of paper by the ref, right? Yes, we did. <laughs> I've never seen that before. I mean, I've seen a lot of football and I've seen a lot of like measurements of first down. I've never seen it that close. Usually, it's like you know, you can tell there's like a chain link or two, you know, or it's like like an obvious first down, and. I don't know if this is, like, some sort of, like, thing that, that he was taught somewhere or he just came up with it on the fly. I don't quite understand why he folded the paper. Uh, but I think, you know, <laughs> if the Cowboys find their way into the playoffs, they're going to have to, like, find that ref and write him a check because <laughs> that was the most interesting thing I think I've ever seen. I think he actually got it right. I just think by folding the paper, it made it more memorable. Um, and uh, kind of, you know, a blooper reel moment, actually. Um, but, no, I, I think that the Cowboys have a shot at making the playoffs. But, again, they have to they have to have Ezekiel come back, and they have to have him play well, um, and they definitely have to win out um, to try to get themselves in there. Troy, what do we say about the Raiders, the season itself? We talked to Nicole last week and how Carr was kind of hesitant because of injury. So is this is where they're at now? Yeah, I mean, that's just what they are right now. I mean, they're, you know, they're a team that um, it was a, it was pretty interesting to hear uh, on the broadcast. They were talking about how, um, you know, they wanted to change the culture there, and they felt like they accomplished that last season, and then now they've kind of taken a step back from that. Um, 
you, and you really thought you would have had some of that going, especially with Marshawn Lynch coming there and he's coming back home. But they just really haven't been able to get out of their own way on on defense. And um, and you, listen, you 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 have the you know the reigning defensive MVP on that side um, and Khalil Mack, but they just really haven't been able to put it all together. And it, and also not to mention there's David Carr who's who's been a little bit injured, especially from last year. He still, I think he's still kind of dealing with some of those things because he just really doesn't look like himself out there. But I, I really believe that all they would need, they just need a few more pieces on defense, maybe some pieces at the inside linebacker position, um, maybe a little bit of an upgraded corner, uh, I, and I think they will be back on their way. But it, it's really going to be interesting to see if Marshawn Lynch is going to come back uh, after this season here. Holly, um, the James catch, was it a catch or was not a catch? Because Eli Manning says it's a catch by the rule. You know, that's a tough one. I mean, I honestly, I would have kept it as as a catch, but I can see technically by the rule how they could see or say that it's not. Um, But that's a tough one. That's one of those calls that at the end of the year, when they review, uh, you know, the rules for the, the next year, that's one of those ones that, that might come up. Um, and it, it, it's tough because, you know, he's down, he gets up, and then, I, you know, I was like, oh, he's in. And then and then I, I, I thought he was in. I think Eli's right. All right. So, Holly, well, if this is a playoff, if this is a wild card playoff game, will we be this mellow about it or would we be totally pissed? No, I think it would be a lot more serious if it was a playoff game, obviously. And it was still serious now, but, you know, that's the thing about football sometimes is, uh, you know, on the one hand, you want it to be as accurate as possible. On the other hand, you have to understand that there's a human element to football, and you you try to uh, help that out with uh, specific rules. Um, But when it comes down to it, it, it comes down to human um, interpretation of those rules, and so there's, um, you know, there's room for variance, and that's okay. I think, I think sometimes as as fans, we want everything to be 110 percent correct, and we try and we strive for that. But we have to also understand things happen in sports, and that's part of sports is understanding it's not always going to go your way, and what are you going to do about it the next play? And so, um, you know, it's tough, but it does happen. Troy, um, did you watch that? I thought it was a catch initially, but then when I watched, when I started to watch the replay, and I, I will kid you not, I did go to the NFL rule book because I started looking it up as it was going there. <laughs> and then I started reading the rule book, and I'm like, um, the overturn, yeah, that makes sense. You know what I mean? But Well, here's, here's the deal. Uh, um, I, they're saying that that was not a catch, right? But there were two plays in the Redskins game. There was one play in the Green Bay Carolina game, and then after, um, and then there was a play in the uh, Raiders game, Raiders versus the Cowboys game. Okay, so in all of those other games, what I'm talking about, a receiver caught the ball. They took two steps, and a defender knocked the ball out of out of uh, out of the wide receiver's hands, and they called it a fumble. The same instance here, where James catches the ball, 
takes two steps. He makes a football move, as they like to say, and he fumbled the ball. I mean, he dropped the ball. But the other ones, they were called receptions. Why wasn't that a reception? Now, honestly, and I said this, you know, to a couple of friends of mine, I have no idea anymore what a catch is. I really don't. I have no idea. So, Troy, are you the, were you on alcohol at the time when you were watching this? Were you on alcohol? No. <laughs> you were sober? I was no, completely kidding. sober. Completely sober. <laughs> <laughs> it was just, I, I never, it was just, I, 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 the NFL really has to explain to people what a catch it's is. Frustrating. Because I have it's no frustrating. It's frustrating. It is frustrating. When you watch it, I mean, like, he's got two hands on the ball. Um, my thing is, this is the way I look at it. If his knees had touched the ground prior to him lunging over, then I could see why you call it, okay, it's, you know what I mean? Or if it gets loose out of his hands in the point of motion, sure, you call it. But going over the plane, you would think it's a touchdown, you know what I mean? Because you, you barely get the ball over the plane while still having some sort of position. But that's not the case. Yeah, it's just um, yeah. Like I said, I, I have no idea. I have no idea what a catch is anymore. And the NFL. Here's the thing. This is the sad part. I don't believe the NFL referees know what a catch is anymore. I really don't. You know what? You know what, guys? I got a tweet from somebody that says this is Depression Week, and maybe the zebras were in that mode. They just don't understand the rule book. What do you think? Yeah, they're just kind of just doing whatever they just—they're just doing whatever they want to do at this point. Yeah, it seems like it that way. I mean, uh, I don't want to sound funny on, you know, coming out with a depression thing, but what I'm saying is, it's like you're depressing us <laughs> as fans. They're like, is it a catch or not a catch? It's ridiculous. Now we have to go to, the, you know, it's like you have to go to the rule book just to figure out what a catch is. I mean, it's just uh, just frustrating. You know what happens is sometimes they they try so hard to explain it that it becomes more confusing. So basically, it becomes so convoluted. It's like the, the tax code, and there's like twenty thousand you know variances in that, and so it it becomes so complicated that really what you're doing is you're not explaining it. You're not making it black and white. You're making it more gray because nobody understands it. Therefore, it goes back to human, you know, it's, it's subjective now because nobody understands directly what it is. And so what, really what they need to do is go back to the drawing board, make it more simple, and then do a better job of explaining it to not only the rest but also the media and the public so that people get it. Yeah, because I, I know the Steeler fans, they weren't very good or very well with it because it was like a Twitter storm of anger. And so, I mean, it's just a, and then, uh, Troy, uh, the flip side is the Patriots get away once again, they win and somehow the zebras help them out and they get Patriots out of earned. steel town. And they win. You know what the Patriots are? Uh, a lot of people hate the Patriots because they wanted to listen. They do it right. Um, they, they absolutely have victory. Big Ben, it's that simple. But he does go with the fake, and then throw a slant route where you have five defenders and the Patriots standing right there. 
you're you're asking for things to happen. I mean, so you know that was Ben's, and they're going to have to look at that. But the Patriots are in that victory. They just when them, um, everybody else really just plays checkers. Holly, uh, we all knew that coming off the uh, Miami loss, we, we kind of figured last week you said New England would win. Both of you guys said New England would rebound and win, and here we are. They did rebound. Yeah, I mean, here, here's the thing, like, going into that game, like, because the Patriots' defense is still struggling, you know, uh, most of the time, I knew that in order for the Patriots to win, it needed to be kind of a – a shootout of some sort, and it, it turned into that. And I think, you know, Brady actually didn't play, you know, he didn't play great, but he didn't play horrible either. The thing that really exposed the Steelers was Kronkowski. I don't know how, like, they didn't understand how to cover this man in the middle of the damn field, but they didn't. Like, <laughs> like it was just Kronkowski show up Excellent. all over the place. And then, was um, that on Tomlin? And, you know, Do you think that's on Tomlin? Uh, possibly, or it might have been communication Tom, issues in the in the secondary. You know, um, Tomlin doesn't call the defense. Oh, that's right. Sorry, You're what right. What was that? He says Tomlin doesn't Tomlin call the defense. Oh yeah, no, he he doesn't call the defense, but, they, but it was definitely you know there, there was definitely something being exposed there because they kept going back to it over and over again. And the Patriots are a team that if they find something that's working, they're gonna they're gonna knock you with it until you you fix it. And um, and I think uh, Pittsburgh actually played really well. Uh, Bell had 117 yards, and as I said before, they need him. They need that balance. And so he did play pretty well. But honestly, despite like the the call of if it, if it's a catch or not, like Troy said. That fake spy play was horrible. Like, I don't know if they're trying to, you know, uh, trying to call on the, the Seahawks play from a couple years ago in the Super Bowl, but if, you're, if, if I'm going to run a fake spy play, I'm not going to run a slant in the middle of the of the field. I'm going to run something on the outside or try to, you know, find a guy that I can just throw it in, in to a place that only he can get or nobody can get. I'm not going to risk the game throwing it up the middle on that. Especially especially if if the defense is aware that you're you're in the uh, red zone defense, you're gonna have a lot of defenders in the middle of the field like that. And so honestly they either should have tried to run a fake spike and towards the edge or the deep part of the end zone or maybe had to roll out and throw it or they should have just just kicked the field goal, go to overtime. I don't so honestly Steelers fans have every right to be upset about that play, but they had more opportunities to, to win after that, and they totally messed it up. So I think the Steelers kind of have themselves to blame on that one, really. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was a great playoff game. Yeah, I agree. Um, Troy, the Eagles get just get out of New York with a win. Does it say, what does it say about the Foles era here for the towards the playoffs? What one do up there? I mean, he was with the head coach at Philadelphia when he was there. He took to the city, and now he's bringing him back here to uh, back to Philadelphia. And so that familiarity with the system it just goes really. 
Maybe I think, you know, because again, I think the fans kind of look at, you know, they scored a whole lot of points. Listen, with the Philadelphia Eagles, their defense. I mean, did they realize that they gave up four over 400 yards to a New York Giants who could not muster anything offensively this year? They gave up over 400. And so that's the biggest concern for the Eagles. For Nick Foles, look, he's doing fine out there. But listen, how many, you know, are, are you going to be able to still keep that going? Uh, when you go up against these other playoffs teams. Because, I mean, again, we're going to talk about the New York Giants. He looked really good there. He did look good against the Rams, but then there wasn't much feeling in him as far as, you know, preparation. They were really prepared for uh, process at that point. So, how look Troy, are you still there? Yeah, no, you're, you're cutting in and out, so I'm, I don't know if it's uh, the connection or not, but um, you're cutting in and out, so that's what I was asking if you're there. Hey, can you hear me now? Oh, yeah, we can hear you. Hello? Yeah, we're still okay. here. Yeah I, was saying that, yeah, I was saying I was concerned about um, really their defense uh, because they gave up so many yards to the Giants who couldn't muster anything offensively this year. And at the same time, uh, you know, the Giants also, their defense hasn't been very good this year. And, they, you know, it just seems like, um, you know, the Eagles may have something – they may have some concerns on that side of the ball. Yeah, um, Holly, what what do we say about the Saints uh, making their uh, playoff push here? What do we say about the Drew Brees, Kamara, and Ingram, the the, the, the backfield there? I think the, the Saints are kind of like the Rams where they're a bit under the radar and people aren't giving them enough credit. I mean, they didn't start out the year very well, um, but they really put it together. And, uh, I, I mean, they, they, they beat the Jets, which really honestly they should. The Jets don't have a whole lot going on right now. And it's going to be really interesting this next week when they play the Falcons. Um, and... You know, they're in a really great spot for the playoffs. I think they have a lot of weapons, especially on the offensive side of the ball. I think Kamara is a great um, counterpiece to Drew Brees and how they like to run their offense. He has a lot of uh, speed to him, and uh, defenses kind of get lulled to sleep on, on the passing game, and he comes in and just tears it apart. I think the Saints have uh, the talent to, to make a, a playoff run. Um, and uh, I always am a fan of Drew Brees. I, no matter if the team is good or not, he's always playing well and putting up numbers. So, um, But this Falcons game this week is going to be a huge, uh, huge game as far as playoff seeding and, and see if, uh, who's going to win that division, uh, who's going to maybe end up uh, the wild card spot. Um, but uh, it should be a, a fun game. Troy, the Jaguars, have they benefited from a weaker schedule at this point going forward? Is Houston damaged with uh, Watson out? A couple games the last couple weeks have been pretty good plays for Bortles and company. So um, are they serious, you think? They're going to be very serious going to a playoff wild card berth here? 
I don't think it's a weak schedule at all. I think that they actually fared pretty well against some of the Brashelon teams. And we get that they pretty much they destroyed Pittsburgh this season. Be third and then they were close. So does pretty well on the defense side of the ball as well. They're making money right now. They signs that they they have really just ratcheted up on that. And it's really, it is a bonus. Had the Bortles who have returned through touchdowns, and I think an issue Bortles is that he felt like he had to make those plays where he was the only one out there uh, that that could make the plays. Now he has a team around him. Can really, um, you know, who can put some points on the board, and they can all that. Also, the ball for net. They can get a Grant, uh, Corey Grant, who's kind of showing he's got a lot of speed out there. So I just think right now, as a team, they are playing fantastic, and they are going to be carried out when it comes to the playoff. I think that's the one team that a lot of teams do not want to see, including the Patriots, of course. Holly, uh, do the Browns go on sixteen? Um, I think so. <laughs> and they, the poor Browns—they try. I know so I caught hard, you off guard. I, I'm sorry, I caught you off guard. <laughs> and everybody in Cleveland is probably caught off guard right now. <laughs> you know, I, I think they really could go on to see. They have a, a decent shot this week against the Bears, who are four and ten and aren't playing that well either. Um, but honestly, I think the Bears have more weapons and and, and should win. But it's probably going to be an, an ugly game. I just I just feel like if you're a Browns fan, you're kind of like I would be if I were a Browns fan, I'd be very frustrated with with the front office because how many years in a row have they had top in picks in the draft and seemed to just pick not very well. I mean, Kaiser's actually not a um, bad pick, but he has nothing around him, and and I just feel like I don't know. You got Josh Gordon. What do you mean nobody around him? Well, well, Gordon's <laughs> sure sometimes I guess, but <laughs> but honestly, like I just feel like he it's him against the world. I don't think they have much around. They they need to completely clean house and maybe keep Kaiser rebuild around him. And I just feel like the front office has has done a huge disservice to that city and that that team for a long time. Um, that's just my opinion, and I, I think they could, I think they do go home sixteen. Right, um, Troy, uh, we we're going Pro Bowl votes here. Apparently, Alex Smith and Case Keenum not very popular for Pro Bowl votes. So, um, is that good or bad? Well, I think it's I think it's fair. Um, if you're looking in the AFC, you got time break. You got Philip Rivers and you have um, uh, Ben Roethlisberger. I'm not taking any of those off, uh, not at all. And in the NSD, I believe you have Arthur Carson. Who uh, else is in the NFC? Drew Brees is in there. Uh, I forgot the other player's name. Uh, let me pull it up real quick on my notes. I think it was Keenum, but yeah, basically I mean, you, well, you, you, you take two of them out. Wilson, who, 
They're just yeah, they're just so many good Wilson players. Is, I think. Yeah, I mean, and, all, and Russell Wilson and and Carson Wentz. I mean, they're in the running for NFL elite. So um, yeah, I mean, I I don't think that is necessarily a snub. Uh, um, I just think that those players right now, especially their circumstances, have just been playing well above the par. And Keenum, you know, who has played great. I would say right now is probably playing for the best out of those quarterbacks. Well, the third best now that uh, Carson Wentz is out for the season. So he may still right, be guys. getting the, he, he still is going to get into the Pro Bowl. <laughs> oh, I'm pretty sure he is. I mean, I, no doubt there. Um, Holly, let's start with you here. College football year in, uh, what was the surprise here? What so surprised you so far with college football? Uh, as far as the season or as far as the, the bowl games? Just the, the the season itself. Um, I, I would say that the biggest surprise, honestly, is the fact that it used to be Alabama and everybody else. And now it seems like you have, especially with the playoff system, um, more teams have the ability to get to the playoffs, and so therefore uh, those teams are exposed to the higher clip, you know, at the end of the year. And I think because of that, people are realizing on the national media scope that other teams around the country can play um, besides Alabama. And I think the fact that you have four teams in, in the playoff that all have at least, you know, uh, one loss, and you have Alabama number four instead of what it used to be Alabama number one unless they lose, you know, and I feel like that's a that's a it's a sign that college football is getting more competitive overall. It's a sign that uh you have more Big Ten and Big Twelve and Top twelve teams in, in the mix as far as being considered for the playoff spot. Uh it used to just be the SEC and everybody. And I think the playoff system has exposed uh, the country to the fact that there's other teams around the country that can play, and it's also made it more competitive as a whole. And I think that's a really positive thing for the sport. Um, and I'm also excited because I think um, the class, the draft class coming from this year is very talented. And I think it's really fun to watch uh, some of these players graduate or even you know leave early, uh, become NFL players. And you see that transition, and I think a lot of these players coming out of this class are going to be very successful long term. Um, so it's been a fun season. Troy, what do you take out of the uh, season so far from college football? Um, you know, the the biggest surprise of the season was Central Florida. Um, you know, for them to to come out the way that they did, and uh, just they 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 ran the table, and you know putting themselves on the national spotlight once again, I just think it was just it was just great for them, you know. Um, now they lost their coach Scott Frost, who went back home to Nebraska, but you know, and then it, it looks like the show is not going to stop because now they have Nashville. <laughs> Who you know that doesn't hurt them either. That's their second Heisman Trophy winning uh, head coach that they have coming in there. That's just great for them. I just think that you know the, it's not going to stop with Central Florida right there. I think Central 
Florida is actually on their way to becoming a power, uh, and, 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 and possibly uh, if they keep winning the way that they're winning, may end up a Boise State. So I like to see when the smaller schools start to you know assert themselves and and get na- and get national notice because uh, I think that bodes well for um, you know for a little bit more parity in college football. And it's a possibility that Central Florida could be could become a power, and they're winning against recruits down in a state where Florida State is a little bit down, or is down. Um, University of Miami is on their way back up, uh, but those other two schools are down, and Central Florida is actually on some of their recruits. So I just think that is really good for college football, and I'm excited to see what they're going to do in the future. All right, guys. So the bowl games have started. We've got to see some exciting uh, play this weekend. Obviously, we're looking forward to um, – everybody's talking about Alabama-Georgia. Do you guys think that will come out, Holly? Do you think Alabama-Georgia in the end there? I think uh, – actually, it's got, my pick is Georgia-Clemson. Um, I think really? that uh, – yeah, I think that uh, Georgia's going to be Oklahoma. I, I really – I believe in that Georgia team, and I think Oklahoma is solid, but I think Georgia is is stronger top to bottom. But I think you're going to see Baker Mayfield getting really frustrated with the Georgia defense. And I think so. I think uh, Georgia's going to come out on top. It'll be kind of – I view that game as kind of an offensive shootout. And I think the Alabama-Clemson game is going to be a bit of a defensive matchup uh, type slugfest. You know, it's the third year in a row these two teams have met. And it should be really interesting and, and on the watch. But I think the Clemson defense is, is stronger, especially up front. And I think Clemson's going to edge him out in a close game. Um, and I'm going to pick Georgia and Clemson. Troy, are you the same sentiment? Uh, actually, I'm going a little bit opposite. I'm going to say that the, in the title game, it's going to be Georgia and Alabama. And I, I think, <laughs> believe it or not, is a lot of people, college football fans, are going to laugh. But I feel like that the Alabama Crimson Tide feel that they have been disrespected, where a lot of t- a lot of people are questioning whether or not they should have gotten in the playoffs in the first place. And then you have a lot of people are saying that Alabama's down. Just imagine the 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 great fortune that you have to have to have the last two national championships. You're being a last two national championship games, go undefeated back to back two seasons, and then you only have one loss this season, and people are down on you. So look at the expectation that that team has and that, 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 that program has. But people are actually down on them. And, and I just think that Nick Saban, being who he is, is going to motivate his team to, to go out there and try to get a – and then you also add the fact of the revenge game where Alabama felt like they could have won that game last year against Clemson. That's a little bit left on the back burner. But, listen, those kids know that, especially the kids that they were there, they did not like losing to that Clemson team. And I think they're going to be frothing at the mouth to get out and play against the Tigers. So I'm looking forward to seeing Alabama assert themselves back as the national power. Um, and I think going against that will be an all-SEC championship game. Um, and then, you know, I'm not even going to pick that. I'll just wait until, <laughs> I'll wait until that game gets played, and then we'll talk about who I'm going to have in that game. All right, so there we go. Um, pretty exciting year all the way around college football, NFL, uh, still finishing up college football and NFL pretty much for the year. So the year really doesn't end for them until February. 
So that's kind of the year end for it. But for us, perspective-wise, we kind of dived into that. The women's game, very exciting, 12 months internationally as well as uh, in the States. And we talked about that at the earlier uh, beginning of the hour, uh, beginning of the show. And so um, kind of excited to see how that's going to come out, especially in 2018. Um, Thank everybody for helping us out, for supporting our podcast, uh, for following us on social media, for buying our products on our Zazzle shop at No Joke Football Shop, and for subscribing to our YouTube channel. So uh, thanks, everybody, for following us and uh, making uh, everybody aware that uh, amazing, talented women play American football. And they do it very, very well, and they play no joke. Um, so, Holly and, and Troy, I don't know what to say, but uh, at this point, big, big uh, thank you to everybody out there for uh, helping us out with this platform and then also helping us out on our social sites. Hey, it's been a, a great year in 2017, and hopefully 2018 comes with more um, awesome stories and great interviews and um uh, and great football for us to talk about. And I'm just, you know, uh, I'm proud to be not only a, a player in this sport, but also uh, to see the sport grow in the 12 years that I've played. And to be a part of it progressing makes me very happy. So um, I, thank you for everybody for allowing me to be a part of that. Yeah, you do a good job, yeah, by the way. Like say, so, um, you know. so thank you. Well, I'd just like to, you know, kind of reiterate those of us as well. I mean, just, just watch how um, the sport has come so far. I mean, every, it seems like not just every year, but every time we come on the air, it just seems like we're finding out something new or somebody's starting a league or another team has started. And just the word has been spreading about women's football. So I'm definitely happy that I was given an opportunity to come on here and run my mouth about football, about something that I really love and enjoy and and, and, and being a junkie of, of football and sports in general, I'm just happy I get the chance to do that. So I'm I'm definitely looking forward to two tonight. I want to, you know, definitely thank Oscar for giving me a shot and, and coming on air and, and, and being patient with me, especially with my crazy skin, things like that, and, and Holly all the time for your insights and, and Kishi for introducing me to you guys. So I'm really thankful for everything that be falling on me. Thank you, guys. And uh, you're a fan favorite, by the way, just to let you know. So um, you are a fan favorite. So uh, a lot of feedback, positive, great insights. A lot of fans love it. Um, both of you guys now, especially uh, on the football side, when we're talking college and, and pro, people really enjoy that. So I really am appreciative to have you guys on. Um, guys, I mean, I don't know what to say anymore. It's a, a happy new year for both of you guys. Um, and make sure, you know, you guys spend good time with your families. We're not going to be back till uh, first week of January, so that's two weeks off pretty much to enjoy family and uh, get everything situated. And this is the best time of the year anyways. You know, um, I usually go up to uh, um, hang out with my parents and stuff like that because they're older and stuff, but memories and stuff like that. So hanging out with the, you know, cousins and uncles and all that good stuff. So it's, uh, it's probably the best time of the year for, you know, family uh, bonding and, and getting back together. No, definitely. It's the best time of year, in my opinion, and it's it's all about um, spending time with the people that you care about. And uh, so I, I'm looking forward to getting out with uh, with my family here, and I hope that everybody has uh, a fun time with theirs as well. And and uh, and we turn the corner 
not for 2018. Family, food, football, all in a nutshell, man. Always my favorite time of year. This is the big games. You got playoffs and up, bowl games. You know, time with your family, watching the kids open up presents. Uh, I, I this is again, this is my favorite time of year. Also, so you can't get any better than this. All right, guys. So I'm going to send, send us off uh, 2017. We're out of here. We'll be back at the first week of January. I want to thank everybody for uh, listening to our podcast on Apple Podcasts. I want to thank Block Talk Radio for supporting us. I also want to thank Zazzle.com for being an awesome supporter as well. And make sure you go to their site at Zazzle.com. Get uh, Christmas gifts as well. Uh, overnight stuff can happen still. So make sure you go there. And for all our fans uh, on our social media sites, really appreciate support for women's American football and the uh, amazing uh, talented women out there that play the sport internationally as well as in the States. We really appreciate your efforts and your time and your devotion to the sport. And we will continue to do that in 2018 and beyond. And before we take off, we will be on Snapchat when we get back in January, 2018. So excited for that. So uh, for Holly Custis, Oscar Lopez, have a very, very Merry Christmas. And Happy New Year, and we'll see you here in 2018 on the Gridiron Blitz right here on Apple Podcasts and Blog Talk Radio. Have a great night, everybody. Night.